Welcome to Start Canada Podcast, where we interview startup founders, innovators, and thought leaders from the heart of Canada who are challenging the status quo, scaling their business, and bringing new ideas to life. Tune in with me, your host, Margot Miller, to hear firsthand exactly how they did it. Start Canada Podcast is powered by the Manitoba Technology Accelerator and Tech Manitoba and sponsored by Scotiabank. In this episode, we speak with Glenda and Rory Hart, co-founders of the Canadian Birch Company. Now, here in Canada, we know you've heard of maple syrup, but have you heard of birch syrup? Well, these two have made a business from it. Working as a sustainable industry business, they create their product from living trees, crafting the world's finest pure birch syrup from organic birch sap. So delicious, in fact, that they spun it into an award-winning gourmet collection, including having been named by the San Francisco Business Times as New Trend to Watch, been awarded Harvest of Excellence Innovative Company of the Year, and featured in Chatelaine Magazines as Product of the Year. In this episode, we share with you the ins and outs of the birch syrup industry, and we'll focus on broader advice around dealing with food products, getting into retailers, and also tips for working with a program like Scotiabank's funding initiatives. If you're starting a food-based business and you want to skip some of the hurdles of learning the hard way, then be sure to catch this episode. Linda and Rory, welcome to Start Canada Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Yes, I'm very happy to have you here too. Glenda, start by telling us a little bit about the business, kind of from start to now. Give us the Coles notes of what you guys are all about. Uh, well, I think that uh, originally we started off uh, thinking we would make birch syrup and then we would sell it to other people who would do fabulous things with it. Okay. But that's not how it turned out. <laughs> Because uh, so few people had actually uh, thought of it that uh, or heard of it that we had to do a lot of uh, legwork to educate people about what is it. Um, and we ended up having to bottle things ourselves and uh, come up with ideas of uh, what to use the birch syrup in. And that's what led to our collection. Yeah, now you have a variety of different products, so yes. not just the original birch syrup you had intended no. to make. What was that process like of creating a bunch of different products, and how long did it take you to kind of diversify what you were working on? Well, we started off with the pure birch syrup, and uh, this is a little funny story, real quick. Sure. Uh, my sister and I were, we had made the birch whiskey toffee sauce to show people what you can do with the syrup, and we were uh, at DeLuca's, actually, and doing a little demo there. And people kept saying, yeah, but I, but I want that birch whiskey thing. Ah, but I want that birch whiskey thing. What? I don't want to make it. I want that birch whiskey thing. And at the end of it, my sister turned to me and said, make the darn birch whiskey thing. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of so course. we did. And then it just grew from there. Uh, not all at once, but, uh, you know, one product at a time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you think at that time that you had to diversify to keep the product alive or was it just kind of for the, for the demand at the time? What was your thinking and, and did it change along the way? It changed along the way for sure. Uh, I don't think at the very beginning we were thinking we had to diversify, but once we got out there talking to people, meeting our potential customers and getting the feedback on these other products, uh, we realized that diversifying was the way to go. And uh, we've been just bringing out new products now and again. But this year, you're going to see a few different ones. Oh, okay. So you've yeah. had time this year to create some new ones. And yeah. we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. But tell me a little bit. So it's funny. I was researching in advance of today the history of birch syrup. Now, I'm going to let you guys tell me what you know. What's the difference between maple syrup, birch syrup? When did it start happening? What do you know about, about the history? Okay, well, let's go back to the 1860s. Birch <laughs> syrup was being made by the uh, indigenous populations in Canada, as long as as well as the maple. But you're using so much more liquid to burn off, so it just became so much easier to do maple as opposed to birch. So it just basically fell away. The ratio is about three and a half times more liquid than maple syrup. So you can see why maple all of a sudden took off. It was easy to make. You could boil it down in a day. You could have sugar for the next five months. Right. Not so much with the birch. So fast forward into the 90s, uh, companies in Alaska had started making birch syrup. And, okay, sorry, keep going, Rory. And, and they had the equipment to, to make it so they could actually produce birch syrup as well as you could do with maple. So that's kind of where the genesis of the birch came back 
into North America. They had done some during the Second World War, it fell off, and then it came back in the 90s. And there's still one company in Alaska still doing it today. And then we came into the, into the fray back in 2012, and that's where we started in. Now, did you know all this before you started making birch syrup, or did you learn all that afterwards? Which came first? Uh, the research came first, and then we tried doing this at home, just like uh, I said, you know, if you're doing this at home, this is not one of those ones that you're going to go to your backyard and make birch syrup. Oh, come on. <laughs> because we tried it, and I have the burn marks in my uh, pan to show that it doesn't work very well. Right. So we, we actually said, you know, as good as we have with all the trees that we have, we can't do this. You're not going to do this from the backyard. You're actually going to have to create a business to make mm. it happen. And where did your passion for it come from? I would say number one on my end was sustainability. Okay. My background in economics was in the resource uh, energy sector. So I like that idea of, of being able to go into the forest, take a uh, product from the, from the forest, but not destroy it. And mm. then at some point in time, as we're going to discuss later, the tree will eventually come down as it's coming down now. And that's when we start looking at the harvesting. And that's another aspect of the business. Yeah. And what about you, Glenda? At this point, you, this is what you do full time. At yeah. what point at the beginning did you say, I'm so passionate about creating this type of product that I'm going to jump in with both feet? Uh, well, we jumped in with both feet at the very beginning because okay. we had to put out a lot of money for the right equipment. That's That's basically... Uh, the reason we are successful at making a, a very good birch product is because we have the equipment to do it with. Um, but I would say that my passion is, um, I love being outdoors. I love birch trees. Uh, but more than that, I like creating things. I like making things. And uh, uh, it, I don't know, it just resonated. When I, when I saw that idea of birch syrup, it just... Um, took hold of somewhere and uh and we just neither of us Honestly, could really neither one let of it us go. could let it be like we could have just let it go right it sounds and like a lot of work call the it end. the dream that wouldn't die <laughs> perfect and now you're here and now we're here so you and you were physically like outside tapping trees doing a lot of this work yourself and what's that evolution been like production wise does that look different today from at first first day one well, we were out there uh, definitely from the beginning hauling buckets and the whole deal, but we weren't doing it alone. That took a lot of people, a lot of effort, family, friends, people we hired. Um, our second year, uh, we had expanded and it was, we had, we must have had 12 people. We had about 12 people. Yeah. We had 1,100 pails out in the forest. Yeah. It's, and it was hot. The It, it was brutal. The, the guys were... We're bringing the buckets in in their shorts, <laughs> short sleeve shirts, and going, oh, it's so hot. <laughs> but anyway, it was a brutal year. And, uh, and after that, um, when the season, in the wintertime there, we started talking, we can't do that again. It's, it's just too labor it's just intensive. Too labor intensive. So, and we have to get the sap back quicker mm -hmm. because when, uh, when it gets warm, if you don't get the sap back fast, um, it spoils okay. to be blunt. So after that first year was so hard then, did you consider not doing it again? No. no. We had a lot of money invested. <laughs> right. No, okay. and, and, no turning but, back. <laughs> but the reality is if, if we couldn't leave it alone to get into the business, mm -hmm. then the setbacks weren't going to be uh, the ones that put us out. I think that's really that's a really nice sentiment too, Rory, because I think a lot of people who are going to start a business think to themselves sometimes about all these hurdles that are coming ahead of them. But if you are really passionate, you will just overcome them. You you learn to uh, justify just about everything mm -hmm. to make sure that you're still going <laughs> forward in, in the business. And we did. So yeah. uh, to get away from the buckets in the third year, that's when we did the vacuum assist program. And that was a big changing uh, point in the business. Right. Okay. And so now with the business, you have a few different streams of kind of markets, let's call them, right. as far as like gift baskets, specialty stores, direct to consumer. Do you focus more on one of those than the others or how have you kind of branched into the different segments over the years? I think at the very beginning, we were focused on the stores, someone to sell it for you. Sure. Um, but that, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I started off with farmer's markets. Actually, 
I think uh, someone from a farmer's market came and talked to me and said, wouldn't you like to come and be in our farmer's market? So I started off with, with uh, that and we branched into, uh, um, I think we did a couple of uh, gift shows, craft shows, mm-hmm. and uh, found that that was really a good thing for us because not only did you sell your stuff at retail, uh, but you were also meeting your customer so there was just a wealth of, of knowledge. Who, who are the people who are interested? And it also gave you an opportunity to uh, let them taste everything and talk to them and give them, um, you know, the idea of why you did it in the first place and what it's for. So the craft shows were uh, another game changer for us. So game changer number one was uh, getting into the vacuum assist and then... Um, we did one show in Toronto that year, and uh, then from there, um, we started putting out these other products and and uh, getting into the craft shows. It's been really good for us. Yeah, that's until a- now. <laughs> well, now is is a tr- is a tricky story with yeah. the pandemic and some different things that we're dealing with. But at that time, when you started doing all those craft shows and you were and trade shows and different events and farmers markets, and you're getting all that feedback, do you have recommendations to someone else who might be starting out with a product like this as far as what to ask and, and even being comfortable asking the customer for feedback, or does it just happen? Did it happen naturally for you, where they taste it and immediately they just naturally will give you their thoughts? They will give you your thought, okay. their thoughts. They definitely will. You don't have to ask. You ask them if they'd like to try it. If it's something they're curious about or interested in, they'll try it. Their face will tell you <laughs> whether or not they like it. Um, and, you know, you can carry on a conversation from there. Mm-hmm. People are polite for the most part. Uh, even if they don't like it, uh, they'll say, oh, thank you. But you can tell they didn't really care for it. Well, and not every <laughs> food product is for everyone, that right? That is correct. Well, when you're when you're trying the pure birch syrup, it it's a highly concentrated product. So yeah. it has a stronger flavor. Right. But that's what it is. It's a flavor. So it's going to go on or in something. So if you're just trying it on a spoon, mm-hmm. You might not think that that's very good. That's true. Even a lot of people are doing Aunt Jemima instead of uh, maple syrup that's pure right. as well, right? So if your palate isn't keen on that. Right. That's right. So we yeah. would always give them toffee sauce, the birch whiskey toffee uh, sauce. Very smart. Directly after, because here you have it as, a, as an ingredient. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now you try it and you go, well, that is insane. That product is crazy. I'm going to buy. And, and we would get people to, who wouldn't have bought anything to walk away with either the toffee sauce or the bacon jam just because as they could now resonate with that flavor because they could taste it in the product. This has happened to me, actually. Years ago, I bought off of you at a farmer's market. Did you after really? tasting it. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I still actually have some in my fridge, which is funny enough because I bought more more recently. But my first time was totally at a farmer's market tasting it. And I walked away with something I didn't need that day because I enjoyed it. So there you go. We came full circle to here today. Um, Were there any kind of really neat success stories that came from a public event like that, where it was a normal day and then someone ordered, you know, a hundred cases or something or had some interesting thing come from it? Yeah. The delicious food show in Toronto, our first show we ever did. Uh, I don't know why I went there. Oh, Pete, (laughs) someone said, oh, you got to come to the show. Anyway, uh, the reason we got product of the year is because the, there was, uh, this uh, fellow who was going around in the show trying to find different, uh, possibilities, uh, for their product of the year drive, you know? So he was like a scout (laughs) and he tasted our syrup and he was just, amazed by it and uh he you know tried to get us to uh to um apply and i didn't apply um and then he called me up and he said you didn't apply yet i said i know i'm not sure that you know we're we're going to he said you have to listen i'll i'll, I'll apply for you right now and he just started asking questions <laughs> And he, he did all the application for me over the phone because he was that, he said, you're going to win. I know you're going to win. So the rest is fun. We still, we still talk with him. (laughs) Well, that's great. Yeah. After all these years. 
Now, I want to go back to um, the piece of the puzzle. So this is these are the fun success pieces. But what about some of the hurdles that you guys went through along the way? And I know you kind of alluded to it in some of the things you said so far, just about like educating the customer. But I know even when you were educating yourselves about the industry, there were mm-hmm. some hurdles along the way. So speak to that a little bit. I think part of it is the the newness of the industry. There really wasn't a lot of companies in Canada, and and the really big success story was in Alaska. So that was where you had to look to see if it was a viable uh, product to get into. Mm. But then the information as to how much you would actually be able to sell it for, whether your demand was there. And, and so that, to me, seemed to be more misleading after the fact than it was going in. But we, we kind of went in with the idea that, you know, we're going to make the best product we can. We're going to have issues selling it, but we knew that going forward. We just didn't realize it was going to be that much of a, a hurdle going forward. So that was probably one of the biggest ones to do is to get over that part. The second part was just like you and, and everybody else, they had no idea what Berkserp was. So we had to do that part. We we found out how to how it worked just like everybody else. We went on the internet. Yeah. So I tapped in birch uh, <laughs> birch trees and birch uh, sap and syrup popped up. And we went, you can tap birch trees and make syrup. It was the same question. We get it every time. Right. It's the same one. We love that question because it resonates back when we were looking in, in 2006. And then we came out in 2010 and tried it. And then we said in 2012, let's let's go. Let's We're, we're, we're going to make this happen. And that's what we did. Mm-hmm. So there are hurdles. And those are the two key ones was the education, which we're still doing. But the the other information, if we had more of it at the time, would probably it's got in anyways. It just would have tempered where your expectations would have been. Do you have advice around the education piece and research piece yourselves now? So because we can all type something in Google, but I think we find so many different sources. We're not totally sure which ones are the best ones. Were there any sources that you found that were really good to truly understand Um, a market now that you've done it? I had a piece of information probably nobody else had. That's why we can do gold, amber and dark. Okay. There was a ways and means of making birch syrup. And if you'd followed that directive, you were going to come out on top and make gold birch, amber birch, and dark birch. And that's what we did. Uh, to her chagrin, because I take it higher than maple for the for the sugar content, and then we bring it down a little bit. But it's a beautiful flavored syrup, and it's just natural. So that was part of the information we got that was positive. Mm-hmm. Some of the other stuff, as I said, alluded to being able to sell your product. We thought this was going to be a one-off where we can work for six weeks in the, in the spring and sell it in the summer and then relax and go back and do it again. Not knowing that we're going to go into making food processing as a, as a full-time business. Right. And when you first had that hurdle of kind of misinformation, when you were first kind of doing the research as far as like how big the market was, who were your customers and things like that, what impact was that? How did you overcome that? Because it sounds like there was maybe a little bit less of a market or maybe you found it was in a different spot than you maybe thought it was. You're looking at them right now. Birch whiskey toffee sauce and bacon jam and the birch for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 the evolution of it was, was pretty evident. We knew we could sell the product. We knew the flavor was there. And that's what we always sold it as, as a flavor. So trying to get it across to people was, was hard. But once they tried it in the product, it really became quite easy to, to sell the syrup. So we actually sold more syrup. Because it was in the toffee sauce, the bacon jam, the birch whiskey yeah. toffee sauce. So, it, and got at the, people, it got people's interest up. Right. And at the beginning then, it's just hitting the ground running, getting as many people to try it and talk yeah. about it and yeah. give you feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And still working. Right. Don't give up your day job. Yeah. <laughs> Until no. you have to. Until you have to. Good. Well, and you did. I did. And now we're here. And now we're here. Now, when it comes to financing a product like this, because again, not everyone might understand what it is you're trying to achieve. They might say, you know, there's already products out there or it's too complicated or whatever the case is. Did you run into hurdles when it came to trying to get investment up front? Because you you did mention there's some upfront costs you had to incur. Well, actually, uh, the one thing uh, we did have was a really good business plan. Um, And that... uh, I can't stress enough how important that is if you're going into business because that business plan forces you to do the research. It forces you to think about what it, what it is you're actually going to do. Uh, and depending on the strength of that business plan, you are either going to get funding or you're not, especially if it's something new. Because you, 
people have to have to see that there's something there. Yep. Now, the business plan in the first place, how did you know how to do a really good business plan? Well, we did have help. Uh, we, who did we talk to? It wasn't the bank. It wasn't the <laughs> it, bank. It, it would have been the people at uh, Maffrey back then. Yeah. And we had an the idea where we wanted to go and how we wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. And we knew we yeah. had three or four different streams of business that we could spin off of getting into the birch surf, like the birch firewood, the birch water, the birch sap drink, and then the birch surf. So there were four different main focus that you could, you could bring to the table. So it was just trying to focus on one at the time and then bring that forward. And then as you're bringing that forward, be able to bring in the other ones as you, as you got going. So mm. our business plan from 2012 still resonates today. Wow. Interesting. Okay. It, it hasn't changed much other than we've evolved it uh, as so far as we brought in the other products, but it, the, the core of it is still there. Right. And that means you were successful in the first place and, and people noticed. And so you met, you talked about agriculture a little bit there. Yes. One of your first um, pieces of funding that you got had to do with agriculture, right? The Kayla loan, I guess it was. Yes. Do you want to speak to that a little bit and who gave that to you and how that one works? Uh, well, I think Rory is better to answer <laughs> sure, that question sure. than <laughs> sure. me. <laughs> so, so Kayla's for Canadian Agriculture uh, Loans Act, Kayla. And so we got ours through Scotiabank. It's a government-funded program for farmers to get them off the ground, get things started. And it's addressed more to the farmers than it is to the banks. It's to make sure that you have your income, the money that you need to buy your equipment and stuff like that. And that's what we use. It's also a one-time payment uh, over 10 years. So you pay once a year. So it gave you that opportunity to, to stretch your finances into, say, your, like for us, our busy season is uh, October, November, December. So we use our financing and that's when we pay back our loan is at that time when we're making money. And then we have a whole year to come back to that. So right now we have uh, our nine, 10 year program is just basically up in, in just over nine years. We only have a little bit left and we're, we're finished with that program. And how do you set it up like that, Rory, where you describe that you're able to pay it off in the time where you're busiest and making money? Is that something that they just allow with that loan or is that is that commonplace to your knowledge? We set ours up. We had it set up to be a calendar year after we started and it turned out that that wasn't feasible because by that time we're getting into our startup of our actual season. So we were looking for money at that time instead of handing it out. So we switched it to the end in, in November so that coincided with when we were bringing money in. So it, it worked out really well that way. Okay. And, and it's been that way for the last three, four years. So. And then was that everything that you needed or were there other services that you did with Scotiabank or anybody else at that time? Uh, we had other uh, you know, initiatives. We had a line of credit with Scotia as well. And then we also had some input with uh, cash funding from Red River North Community Futures, okay. which has been really good for us as well. And... Uh, living off Visa and uh, whatever other cards you could find uh, in your wallet. For, <laughs> to make for, it happen. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. And don't forget uh, Women's Enterprise Center. And Winnipeg's, and Winnipeg's, Women's yeah. Enterprise Center was, yeah. was key in, in 2014 And as that's well. because you have a female founder with you here. That's right. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then with some of those programs, I know you mentioned Community Futures in there too. Now, they have different kind of regional centers for their funding, right? And so you right. used one that was outside the city of Winnipeg, right? Right. Right. And how were how were the different experiences with some of these different um, grants and lenders and loans? Were they all really positive experiences along the way? Well, um, one of the uh, things I can say about between the bank and community futures is that uh, with a bank, everything is much more structured and there's much less flexibility. Uh, but with uh, community futures, and I think also with Women's Enterprise Center, there's more of a human element. You know, there's uh, there's talking to each other and getting a sense of of who you are and uh, getting a little more into the nitty gritty of your business and making, uh, you know, decisions based not only on a business plan, not only on finances, but also on who you are. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a little bit and, of and what your business there. is. So, yeah, uh, again, we had people come out to the um state and, and walk around and see what it was that we were doing and, and where we were going with it and you know it's jaw-dropping to walk in and see all that equipment and go oh my god uh, we didn't expect anything like this this is not what we were looking at we were thinking it was going to be this way and they walk in and go wow that's just insane what you have here 
and, and, but we needed that equipment to be able to do what we do. Well, I think that's such good advice as far as just like getting to know the people behind the product. Like it's good for the funders. It's also right. good for you though. And I think, and yeah. I know, you know, off air too, we talked a bit about getting to know your small business advisor mm -hmm. at somewhere like Scotiabank yes. so that they can really help you out and getting to know the person, inviting them to come out and see it if, if that's capacity of something that they're willing to do. But you've, you guys took advantage of that on your side too, because it's those people that are really going to help you move the dial at the end of the day. Yes. If they know what you're doing and they can see where your focus is going, then they get a sense of what you're doing mm -hmm. and they can go, well, yeah, this is, like like you said this this is a gorgeous product but you you don't know that until you try it and that's what we we're trying to do is invoke uh a response from them as to why you need the funding for uh more lines in the bush why do you have to go from 2,000 trees to 4,000 trees well if you have a very short window of 21 days on average and that that window becomes 10 then you're not making any any product if you don't make the product you're not paying back your loans so you almost need to go bigger so that if you have a bad season, which we've had three or four, you have product. You have, you know, 25, 40 pails of syrup as opposed to 10. Hmm. So you're trying to stretch a whole year's worth of income and, re and revenue over 10 pails is not enough. Yep. So those are the key things to have someone come in and see why you're doing it. And it's interesting hearing you speak about that, Rory, because you really have almost two very distinct sides to your business as far as one being, you know, in farming and agriculture, essentially, yes. and the production of it. But the other in the sale of it, where it's a little bit different from a farmer who might sell their crop to different people. They still, there's a sales process there that's still required. Mm -hmm. But in your case, if you're selling individual pieces to consumers, there's a bigger mm -hmm. sales cycle there. Yeah. Um, how have you balanced those two sides to the business? Do you, do you divide up the work between you or, or how has that been no, kind of evolving the two sides? Well, it, it, I think it was a natural kind of thing. Uh, Rory does, uh, well, we all do everything right. pretty much, but he does more of the bush work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm in there uh, fixing lines and things that that'll be my thing. He'll still be working um, during that time. So I'll be in there with somebody and I'll be fixing the lines. But, you know, he's he's in there now taking down uh, dead trees and things that have fallen on the on the lines and that kind of thing. So he's doing that. Um, and, uh, I pretty much, um, do the bacon jam and the toffee sauce and the birch for breakfast. Uh, when it comes time in the season that we're making the actual pure birch syrup, uh, he, he's the, uh, he's the, the senior, the master craftsman there. And I'm the assistant right now. Um, I've, I've only, you know, I, I very seldom do one on my own. Mm -hmm. He's, uh, he takes his holidays then so that he can, can be there for the most part. Um, so that's his specialty. Uh, and mine is the other products yeah. and playing around with things and coming up with another product or two or three. So we find We a have way. interchangeable times. Yeah. Trying to work around the railway is, is a difficult situation. So after my, my holidays are over and I'm back to work, then it's whenever I can give her a hand mm -hmm. and whenever we're into the season. We've been pretty lucky in the last four or five years to be able to get as much done, even though I'm at uh, the railway for a good portion of it. Yep. So yeah, that, just so for our listeners to clarify, so Rory's at the railway part of the time and Glenda is full-time in the business and has yeah. been for quite some time now. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, we got to a point where uh, Rory turned to me one day and said, you know, our, uh, we don't want our business to fail from neglect. So one of us has to quit our job and do this full time. Because that's what it was going to be. You <laughs> right. would, you would yeah. just be too it, busy it was, with your other jobs to, there. to make it fail. So, what did that feel like at that time, Glenda, when you made that decision ultimately? Um, a little bit scary and a little bit exciting at the same time. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it is hard to work, uh, to walk away from a paycheck. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, you have to face reality. And reality was we could no longer do it with both of us working a full-time job. And that's just how it was. <laughs> and, and Glenna, this is a perfect timing for us to jump into our speed round. Okay. After that lovely <laughs> anecdote. So, okay, you know the rules. Quick answers. And you can both just jump in anytime. Okay. Ready to go. All right. Describe yourself in a word or two. Passionate. Uh, somewhat stubborn. Okay. And what? Oh, <laughs> speed round. That's all you're getting. <laughs> what motivates you? 
quality. Yeah, same. What keeps you up at night? Trains. <laughs> Business worries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who has been the most influential person for you? Oh my gosh. That's a tough one. It can be personal, it can be business, whatever comes to mind. Uh, I don't know. All right, moving on. Move on. <laughs> what is one thing in business that you're so happy that you did? Craft shows. Uh, the, uh, our new line. Okay. What is most important for your mental health? Walking the dog. In the, in, the, in the forest, if you ever get a chance to come to the forest. I'm going to take you up on that. What is one thing that you were wrong about? <laughs> How much money you actually need to get in. And uh, how much uh, money we'd make in the first couple of years. <laughs> how do you continue to learn and grow personally? Problem solving, the things that uh, life throws at you, the business throws at you, and you just have to adapt and you got to do it on a dime. And we're adapting right now. We have <laughs> uh, the, the second prong of the four prongs is, is now the birch uh, bringing the trees out. So that's, that's the next yeah. big force. Let's issue. get back to that one for sure. Where are you in 10 years? Well, I'm probably getting close to somewhat retiring, but not really. I, I'm hoping to have employees to do most of the work by, by 10 years, but I don't see myself actually like being extricated from it. I think that's where we're going to be in 10 years. We're going to have, we're going to be where we think we should team. have been already. Yeah. yeah, bigger team. There you go. What does being a leader mean to you? Giving people, uh, giving people direction, but uh, not being um, strict about it because lots of your good ideas come from people if they're allowed to be creative and have their own ideas and come to you with that. You should never be, I want you to do that and I want you to do that and I want you to do it exactly this way, you know. There, people a little freedom. Yeah, the, um, the ability to train. We have, we have enough knowledge now to pass it on. Yep. And, and there, as you said, there are shortcuts that you can do, uh, but you have to want to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Ben and Rory, that's our speed round. Oh, you can boy. relax now. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, we're going to test you again on that one day okay. and see if we get you faster. Yeah, <laughs> but, pretty... your, but your responses were very thoughtful, so that's well, good. That's, that's part of who I am. Yes. Well, that's nice. Um, Rory, you mentioned about um, what you do with the trees now. Tell us a bit more about that. We have a little time after our speed round here. Okay. So right now we're dealing with the bronze borer beetle. It affects most birch trees. It's okay. in our forest now. And so it, it's going to affect what we do over the next couple of years because there are many trees that are going to have to come out because they're dying from the, the beetle. At the same time, we're looking at that as uh, an opportunity to sell off the lumber that we had thought we were going to do during the whole 10 years. Now it's come to play, so we're going to do that. And we got uh, coasters and bits of uh, birch wood that we're going to use for displays and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. we're going to turn that into another opportunity, another part of the business. Yeah, awesome. And in the speed round two there, when I was asking about um, what keeps you up at night, you both had kind of different answers. Um, but Glenda, as far as the business is concerned, are there things that, that weigh on you sometimes that, that keep you up? Um, yeah, yeah, there are. It can be any one of a number of things. And that, that doesn't happen often. I, I'm usually a pretty good sleeper. <laughs> How do you manage to separate the two? Like when it, when it is something that is kind of your baby that you're so passionate about that you're doing full time. Have you found tricks over the years to kind of like let things lie when you are in your personal time? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay, Rory's well, testing to see if she has it. Yeah. Well, I don't, I, I don't set aside personal time, <laughs> so to speak, but you know, I'll get a call from uh, my son uh, 
FaceTime or something and I'll hear my grandson say, Maji, come over. And guess what? I'll come over. <laughs> right. And that's part of the flexibility of having your own business, right? Some of those joys. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about dealing with food products in general and kind of some of the lessons that you've learned. So if we have listeners that are thinking of putting a food product in place or just getting started, they might not have to go through this, some of the same hurdles, or they might just learn some best practices. So I know at the beginning, you guys were doing tasting with different chefs. What did right. that give you as opposed to just the customers that you were seeing in person? Well, I think uh, for our, our pure birch syrup, it was really important to take it to some chefs because um, we knew from the onset that it was going to be an ingredient type of thing and uh, that the interest to the flavor and so on, uh, we very m much wanted their input. So we actually uh, met with the uh, Chefs Association here in Winnipeg and uh, brought uh, samples so that they could try it and we could talk to them about it. It was very well received, very well received. And do you use that as a testimonial or is it just for your own self kind of knowledge and, and further production? At the time, I think it was more for, um, just for our own knowledge, but we do have what we call a testimonial. Oh, nice. <laughs> on our webpage from, uh, from one of our biggest chef fans ever. So, uh, yes. So it does work for both. Absolutely. Now tell me about some of the, the hard side of the coin, as far as dealing with the Canadian food inspection agency and some of those pieces, what are the best practices that people should know right out the gate? Um, okay. Well, first thing, if you're going to do a food product, uh, you have to make sure you're doing it correctly so that you don't poison anybody. And, uh, and for that, I would suggest that if you got a new food product, you contact the, uh, Food Development Center in Porsche La Prairie, and they will help you to uh, get things um, set up so that you have your testing for the right things, etc. Um, and then after that, uh, things are different now. So uh, everybody has to be um, licensed by the Canadian government under the uh, Safe Food for Canadians Act. So um, uh, you have to have a uh, PCP, I guess that's a preventative care or preventative, uh, it's like a, a, a HACCP plan basically for, your um, business. for your, for, for each product okay, or for each type of products mm -hmm. so that, uh, you do so that they know you're doing everything right to make sure that the food is safe at the end of the day. And if you do all those things, uh, and you're open about it and you're doing it in a place that uh, is either certified by CFIA or by the um, Manitoba Agriculture, um, depending on what product you have, um, everything will, will go just fine. Give me that name again, Glenda, of the location in Porge La Prairie. So if you are in the Winnipeg area or nearby, um, they would do testing for you, correct? Well, they'll guide, they'll guide you along too. Mm -hmm. uh, the Food Development Center, it's called. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. And was there a cost for that? Like I, I know that they test products and things like that yes. and they help you along the way. And where are their costs involved? Uh, there, there are costs involved. Uh, consulting fees or uh, lab fees or mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Or in um, our case, nutrition facts tables. Yeah, nutrition okay, facts yeah. tables. They do those. Um, and... Uh, what they also, uh, one of their uh, people helped us with the uh, PCP as well okay, for all our products. So, so that sounds like a good kind of one-stop shop to get the general gist of what you need to be doing right from the get-go to make sure right. your product is safe and, and passes the tests. Right. Don't That's get you right. from incubation to scale up. And then from there, it's up to you if you want to stay within the FDC center or you want to branch out and, and find another facility that you can do your products that may or may not be close to home. So. For, for the actual production of them the at, a, production, at a larger yeah. scale at that point. So that's well, why we're, we, we used them in the beginning and then we have our own facility for the syrup and then we use another community kitchen for making the other products, the bacon jam and toffee sauce. Okay, great. The first year we bottled our syrup there. We made our syrup at home, but we bottled it at uh, the Food Development Center in the first, first year. I learned a lot, I learned a lot from them. The process of taking a product that you made somewhere, bringing it somewhere else to get it bottled, is there trickiness in that process itself? Well, it's, uh, 
it's just transportation and like for us, we it, had it's to tricky be, because they have hours, they have set hours yeah, and, that's and, true. and they want to be done by four thirty. And so if it's an eight to four thirty job and things go awry and you don't get going till twelve thirty and they want to be done by four thirty, well, <laughs> you know, Coming back in our, the next in day. our line of industry <laughs> right. with, with, with what I do for a living, what she was doing as a teacher, we never had that. We couldn't, uh, we could do it the first year. And after that, we said, well, we're going to do this at home. So we, we set up to do everything at home after that for the syrup. Okay. Because then it allowed her to bottle at her own speed at her own time. But again, Manitoba Agriculture helped make sure that our facility that we were, we had at home was appropriate. So uh, Manitoba Agriculture is another uh, really good. Well, you shouldn't do anything uh, in the food business without talking to them. Manitoba Agriculture. Yep. You really should. Okay. These are some good tips we're getting here. Okay. Now, Rory, in the speed round, when I asked about okay. something that you're glad that you guys did, you talked, you briefly said craft shows. So let's talk about that a little bit. Trade shows, craft shows. And we talked about it at the beginning, but I want to know kind of in general, like, give us an overview. How many have you done now? How many did you need to do to get <laughs> success from it? Can you put a number to this at this point? You know what? Oh, I'm going to go oh, right no. to the very beginning. The first one we came out was our birch bacon jam. Okay. And we had used a little kitchen in the city here. We made, I think we had like 120 birch bacon jam. Oh, and sweet. we went to Scattered Seeds in October and they were sold out by Saturday at or Friday afternoon at three o'clock. And it was a whole weekend show. And it was a whole yes. weekend show. And we was like, so then I, what? it was eye opening. We did chits. We, we did IOUs <laughs> and they, they would buy and we, 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 we're in the kitchen the next week. We made them and we had them in the city and, and people just had to come and pick it up. But that's how we did for the very first show. And yeah. from then on, it was like, well, this is the way to go. This is how you're going to get people to to really enjoy your product. Because every every craft show we do, we stand behind the, the products and we let people sample. We give them a spoon of it. They try it. And, and from there, it's, it's just magic. So that's like insider tip number one. It's let people try your product if it is a food product. Yes. Um, like you have to basically, you right? Have to. Rule of thumb. Well, yep. especially something like this that people are not familiar with. Right. Okay. And then tip number two that you had kind of in there too was just about pivoting or, or doing what you can to get the product out there. So you had to do IOU chits and make the product the next week, but you just said, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. Well, you no promised problem. everyone yeah, in advance. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it was, it was actually, it was pretty funny actually. And, uh, so that was the start. And then right after that, we were in San Francisco for the gourmet food oh, show in, in, right. in January. And it was lined up down the aisle. We had four people at the desk and there was a girl from the, a lady from the government and she was filling cups with our products because we couldn't hand them out fast enough. Yeah. And we had coffees in the back and, and we had got them from kicking horse and we, Never drank that coffee in three hours. It was just insanely <laughs> busy. And we knew this was how this was going to go, that the craft shows, being in front of people, getting them to try it, it was mm. the way to go. Well, and nowadays, the push for craft shows and the success of them has really mounted. So some of the shows that we have locally were, you know, small shows. They still got good foot traffic, but they were maybe more cost effective to participate in. Has that become trickier now as these shows have become really popular? Has the cost to participate as a vendor become tricky at all? Um They've I think you have to watch which ones bit, you maybe. go to. It, it really mm -hmm. does. So some areas of the country are, are, are more accepting than others. So Manitoba has always been good to us, but we've yeah. also done well in Ottawa. We've also done well in uh, Calgary, and we've done really well in Saskatoon and, and uh, Regina and Yorkton because they, they just love the, the products we have. Yeah. Okay. And now I'm wondering, you have trade show products, you're doing well, you're selling. What is the hurdle like to get into retail stores? What's that process look like? Okay. I think the real hurdle is, is what we were just alluding to. If you're not trying it, you're not buying it. Okay. Yeah. So you can maybe get into the stores, but then sales are not what you necessarily need them to be. Right. Okay. Interesting. So that, that's a, an avenue to follow, <laughs> but it's been difficult now to get to that point where we can actually free up time to do that. Mm -hmm. But it's not just that. There are some stores that sell an incredible amount of stuff. It, it, uh, it really is about whether the people in the store 
champion your product. Okay. Yeah. Because someplace like Fromagerie Bothwell, like everybody who works in the store and the owner of the store, they all, they all love the product. We sell a lot of stuff, you know, and you know, other places where they just sit it on a shelf and let it sit there and they don't, uh, you know, they don't say anything about it. You know, all you got to say is, Oh, have you ever, have you tried that? Or if someone is asking about it, they can tell, tell them how good it is because they've all tried it. So it really does depend on the shop owner as well. It's not just, um, you can't just put it on a shelf and expect it to sell itself. Right. Of course. Um, maybe they feel like they could just replace it with a different product then in their mind, right? Like they're not thinking, they're not necessarily community minded in the same way. But what about like smaller stores compared to bigger stores? So you mentioned, uh, fromagerie locally, but then there are of course, bigger stores like Sobeys or co-ops. Is it difficult to get into some of the bigger stores? Um, you know what, uh, co-ops been good. Um, we, uh, we're in, uh, St. Vital and Grant Park. Um, and uh, I think we're now in... So are in they, they're location and, specific? Do you have to yeah. pitch to each one to put your product no. in? Well, yes, in a sense. They get to choose whether they want to have it or not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the same with the Sobies and the Savons too, yep. like all of those. Is there a movement to support local? Do you think that plays into yeah. their decision on whether they're taking your product in their stores or not? Absolutely. At least at first. And then after that, it's whether they're in a demographic where it sells. Right, of course. You know, some some areas it doesn't sell as well, and some areas it sells really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, that's just how it is. We are in a pandemic now where mm-hmm. in-person sales are just lower. There aren't these craft shows and trade shows in the same way as before. And so have you been able to pivot to online sales in a meaningful way, or do you have any lessons there that you've learned? Yeah, we uh, switched to Shopify. We had a WordPress um, website. Yep. Uh, it was beautiful. Um, it was done by a professional company, but it wasn't changeable easily. You know, it didn't uh, kind of, it wasn't, it cost too much to keep it up with new products and with, uh, you know, different things that we wanted to change on the site. Uh, Shopify allows us that flexibility. Um, and, uh, since going with, uh, Shopify and, uh, now getting more into social media, uh, with Instagram, Facebook and that kind of thing, uh, we really had a good online, uh, year. Good. Yeah. And we just kicked into Shopify at the beginning of November, just in time for third and bird here locally in Winnipeg. Yeah. Good timing. And then yeah. from then on, yeah, it really did kick up uh, quite a bit. So. Was there a personal learning curve to moving your products into a cart system like that, like Shopify? Well, we had a cart system already because with our WordPress, we had Equid or what, uh, I think that's what it's called. Um, So it it was somewhat familiar, but it's just that Shopify is very friendly for uh, people who are selling products like this. Well, selling any product actually online. And actually right now, one thing I can you know share with our listeners too is that because of the movement to so many businesses being online and because locally in many different cities, there's a big push to support local, of course. Yeah. If you look to your local chambers of commerce, your local you know tech associations, things like that, a lot of them are running free or really subsidized training around Shopify and setting up your e-commerce store. And there's of course a lot of resources online too, but if you're more of a hands-on, you want to take a class kind of person, there are workshops and series and things that a lot of these organizations are doing. So I would say tip is like, look to your local chamber or tech association, places like that, because there are these programs in place right now to help businesses who were traditionally kind of brick or mortar to right. go online. So that's definitely something you can't avoid now, right? You can't avoid it. It's, it's the, uh, the new trend yeah. and it'll be around for forever. So yeah. Do you anticipate that having a more streamlined system for you online will help you increase sales? Do you, has it yes. been pretty easy for people to find you online and get your products in the meantime during the pandemic? Yes, it, it's, uh, it's been really good for us. I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go back no. <laughs> to the other, to the other way. Yeah, that is great. And it sounds like you guys certainly have a story of, of figuring it out, changing the things you need to change along the way. And now we're here today. So, um, what is next for you? What's next for the company? 
Birch Bacon. Um, Birch for Breakfast is new. So that yeah. just came out in November. So with that came out uh, Pumpkin Spice, Birch for Breakfast. Okay. It and is, now I've got some is, other ideas. <laughs> it's a crazy good uh, pancake syrup. It's great on uh, cornbread, but it's also good in uh, drinks. So it works oh, more than yes. just in one yeah. Like one a cocktail avenue. syrup. Yes. Like a cocktail yes. syrup. Okay. You're speaking to a different part of our audience now, it's Rory. A different yes. part of, it's the after <laughs> yeah. eight hour. Uh, that will be on later. That's the yeah, one that perfect. we're looking at. And so, so Glenda's got some more ideas to do with more of the Manitoba fruits that will be coming out in June. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, we're, be, be on the lookout. There will be more things coming. Sure. Fun things yeah. ahead. Okay. And if people are trying to find you, we've just been talking about all this fun stuff and yummy ingredients that people want to get their hands on. Where do they find you? Well, you can certainly check out our website, uh, canadianbirchsyrup.com. Canadian, no, Maybe sorry, sorry. <laughs> Canadianbirchcompany.com. I'm getting mixed up with our Instagram and Facebook. That's at Canadian Birch Syrup. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Both of them are. Great. And we will put that in our show notes too. So we will make sure people find you and your products. And thank you, Glenda and Rory, for coming on Start Canada Podcast. Well, it's our thank pleasure. you very much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to learn more about our guests, visit startpodcast.ca and be sure to rate and review us wherever you're listening. If you're new to the show and want more Canadian business inspiration, subscribe before you go. Start Canada Podcast is produced by your host, Margot Miller, with audio and visual creation by Event Pro and support from Dunor Systems. Start Canada Podcast is powered by the Manitoba Technology Accelerator and Tech Manitoba and sponsored by Scotiabank. Scotiabank.